Good morning, church. I said to the uh, first service, I'll say to you, permit me to say also, shalom. How about that? Uh, many of you know we were a, a group from uh, this church, as well as some from other churches in the area, as well as some from uh, uh, some churches up in Pennsylvania. We're uh, 10 days in the Holy Land, and we have returned uh, safe and sound, despite being in the Golan Heights uh, during the uh, Syrian Hezbollah missile attack. Um, we came back unscathed, and, uh, and the, the missiles were a, a mile from us. Uh, they could have been a thousand miles. Uh, we, we were completely safe. And uh, Anyway, if you're uh, interested in hearing more about the trip that we took or would like to be part of planning a trip for 2017, then uh, sometime in March we'll let you know we're putting together the slideshow and uh, we'll be having a night a, a recap of the trip that was and an um, informational time for the trip that, uh, Lord willing, will be if there's interest enough to, uh, to go. So um, let's get Bibles into people's hands. If you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you did not bring a Bible, the fellows in the back are uh, able and ready to bring them to you. Again, if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, hands up nice and high if you need a Bible. I've got one down here in front. And um, while you're doing that, while you're taking the, it only should take a minute to find Genesis chapter 1, uh, then make sure your cell phones are turned off or put on vibrate so we don't have interruptions. Let's pray and we'll open up Genesis chapter 1 together. Lord, here we are um, once again at your feet. Uh, for some, Lord, we haven't, uh, some haven't spoken to you since last week. Um, some are here again, Lord, uh, at your feet willing to hear, wanting to listen, needing to learn, and needing to grow in you. Lord, I pray that uh, this next time would be meaningful, valuable, that you'd help me to share your word with passion and accuracy. Uh, Lord, the last thing I want is to be a talking head, to just be saying words that don't have meaning. And so I pray that your, your spirit would bring your word to life, that you'd use this vessel to speak through, that you'd help me to get out of the way and just to present your word with all of its power and all of its glory, that as it points to you and points to Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would recapture in Genesis chapter 1 an awe of not just of, of who you are, but in the way you've made us and the creation that surrounds us. Lord, uh, deal with any strongholds of, of thought patterns or erroneous ideas that have nothing to do with God and, and are ser simply man man-made ideas or ideologies. Lord, help us to fully rely and fully lean on the weight uh, and the strength of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that agreed said, Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, we will pick up where I believe Warren left off, and that is in verse 26. Uh, I will give a couple of uh, disclaimers this morning. I know we've been very science-focused the last few weeks, um, presenting some of the science uh, that mingles its way in and, and is relevant to the book of Genesis. And part of the reason is, uh, for that is because the book of Genesis has come under so much attack uh, in our lifetimes. And uh, it's very important uh, for you, for the foundation of your faith, to know that you can trust what you read in God's Word. If, you don't, if you're questioning whether you can trust these things and you've heard other theories and, and you go, wow, you know, maybe I really am stupid for believing what the Bible says. I hope that we can help undo some of that, that you don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. 
you don't have to be ashamed to believe that God created. And, and many of you, you're right there with that already. I don't need to convince you. I don't need to, to talk to you about those things. You're there. But others, again, having grown up in, in a, as a biology major in college, I just assumed that what I was told was right. What was presented to me as truth, when it was really only theory or speculation, uh, I, I just believed it. And so I've had to really deal with, and maybe that's why I love these chapters so much, because uh, I'm able to say, oh, there is another alternative, and that alternative is a very, very p- compelling one. So I'll present to you, uh, intermingled with what we read today, some scientific uh, information in a very brief nutshell. Uh, my hope is that if I say something uh, or present something that to you is interesting or compelling, that you will take the time to research these things out yourself and to find out more about the topic that I've presented as it relates to the creation not the evolution, the creation of mankind. So is that fair, a fair deal we can, we can work out there? Because I, I don't want to spend... Some of you are interested in the science of these things. Some of you are not. Some of you could care less. Um, so that's why I'll just present things in brief form, and then you can pursue the things you're interested in. And I would suggest that you do if you are interested in that. So throughout Genesis chapter 1, we've been looking at the, uh, the six days of creation. We are on the sixth day And consistently throughout this chapter, then God said, then God said, then God said. And then he speaks to the earth. He speaks to the water. He says to the waters. He tells them to abound with the abundance of living creatures. And he speaks to the earth. And he says, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind. And so this is kind of the pattern that we see. And in verse 26, that pattern is sort of broken. We see something new get introduced, a new way of presenting uh, the information. This is the the sixth day continued. uh, And verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And we'll continue on to, uh, into chapter 2. But let's take this chunk for right now. Do you see what's different? Uh, God didn't say, uh, Let us now watch as the animals evolve into human beings. And I don't say that to be funny, I say that to be truthful, I say that to point out what should be obvious and is obvious, that the Bible and the biblical um, account of creation stands in direct conflict with uh, evolutionary theory as to the, the origins and evolution of mankind. Uh, the Bible would, would not allow for the creation of apes that would eventually then become intermediate species and then eventually come, become uh, businessmen and computer scientists and all that stuff like us. Uh, there's nothing to indicate that. Otherwise, God would not have had to say this. So the pattern has changed. Previously, it said, let the earth bring forth and let, let, let them all become, uh, become according to its own kind. But this place in verse 26, when it comes to mankind, and remember, all of this has been building to mankind. Everything has been, been being prepared for the creation of mankind. 
And, and he'll say, I'm going to put mankind over the creation. All these things, the universe, the stars, everything, and now all the pinnacle of that creation is us. And he created us differently than the stars, differently than the animals. They were all created according to their own kind. They have, they have life. They have a bodily form. But here he says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. That's different, isn't it? God has used himself as a pattern. It, to be created in the likeness of the image of something is to be a resemblance, a semblance of it. And at the end of this, he's going to say it's very good. Uh, the challenge is we look at, at the world we live in, and it's hard to see the image of God in people sometimes, isn't it? And so we say, what in the world happened? If we're created in the image of God, maybe God is really bad. <laughs> I mean, I've been asked that question a lot of times. If God is so good, then why is the world so messed up? Hang with me. We'll get to Genesis chapter 3. You'll see where it all, you know, that image of God, we still bear it. But it's been twisted, hasn't it? It's been um, muddled. It's been distorted. And we'll see why that happened. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'm not going to get very involved in that discussion today. But what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Uh, it's, it can't be purely physical because he says male and female, he created them. So is God male or female? Yes. The Bible says God dwells in unapproachable light. John chapter 4, we learn that God is spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in terms of, it, so it can't be merely physical, although there are some things about us physically that do separate us from the animal world, are there not? I mean, our ability to write and our language. Now, animals have language. They communicate, but not nearly on the level that we do. None of them, none of them write. I don't know how many, can, I don't know if they've taught chimpanzees to understand reading or not, but if, it, if they can, it's very minimal. Second grade level max. Uh, our ability to make and manipulate fire, our ability to, to create. You know, these things, our hands separate us. Our ability to not just oppose, have opposable thumbs, but for our, uh, the manipulation of our, our fingers down to our palm. We can do things with our hands that most of the animal kingdom can't do. Although I've watched dogs open up refrigerators before. There's some amazing, the animals can do some amazing things. And this is what God presents to Job. You know, when God is talking to Job about, you know, about God's plan for people and, and about what's going on in Job's life, he presents to Job the animal kingdom. The ox, the ostrich, the eagle. I mean, animals are awesome, but mankind is more so. So, so it's not just physical, uh, clearly, because again, male and female, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but God has created us in his image in terms of personality, creativity. I mean, God gets angry. God uh, loves we, which of the animals worships? Which of the animals considers the beauty of the sunset last night? Anybody catch that? The sunset last night was absolutely gorgeous. Which animal does it? Which animal ponders life, death, and eternity? Which animal understands uh, completely the idea of, of delayed gratification. We understand that even though we don't live by it, we understand delayed gratification. We understand uh, mercy, 
compassion. And again, there are places in, in the animal kingdom where you can see these things, but no, nowhere like human beings. And these are all things that we carry, the emotions we experience. Don't let anybody tell you that you, you should never be sad. You know, we, we've sort of, kind of vilified sorrow in the world we live in today. You should never feel sad. If you feel sad, you know, there, there is a point at which sadness, you know, is prolonged and can be unhealthy, but sadness is a normal human emotion. God, Jesus, weeps. We're created in that image. We weep. That, that feeling of emotion, that personality, love, all of those things is part of, you know, God doesn't tell us what it is, but we kind of look at the world, we look at the animal kingdom, we look at ourselves, and we go, why am I like this? Why, why do I even care about eternity? My dog does not care about eternity. He just wants to know that I'll open the door when he's got to go to the bathroom. I'm thankful for that. Get tired of cleaning up after them. And what time is dinner? That's what they want to know. And, and I want to make sure I get it before that dog gets it, right? But we're different. The, the, the capacity for selflessness, the capacity for altruism, the capacity for sacrifice uh, on behalf of, uh, of something that I don't get anything in return for. These capacities we have, why don't we experience them more? I mean, we do, but again, a lot of that has been marred by sin. Created in the image of God. Let us, now where, what, us, who is he talking to? Why does he say, let us make man in our image? Isn't God one? Isn't that what we learn in, in the book of Deuteronomy? The Lord our God is one, right? We know that. So who is he talking to? Grammatically, this is consistent. Any translation, at least the ones I looked at, New Living Translation, New King James, King James, the, the question isn't about the word us. It, it's a plural word, right? But then later on, it says, let, it says let, God, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. But then he goes on to say, so God created man in his own image, a singular. So the word where they get the Hebrew translation, us, is it singular or plural? And the answer to that is yes. It's both. And again, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I got books by Hebrew scholars. So I don't waste my time trying to figure it out. What I do know is that um, there are certain explanations for this that do not work. God could not have been talking to the angels and saying to the angels, hey, let's make man in our image. Uh, because we are created uh, with uh, in little less, little lower than the angels, the Bible says. So he couldn't have been talking to the angels. So who's he talking to? We know that Jesus existed before the creation of, of the world. We know that the Holy Spirit, uh, is, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. So what you have is the Trinity, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in eternity past, and now God not consulting with, but speaking with, almost like the excitement, like now we get to do it. Hey, not like, hey, I got an idea, guys. Let's have a huddle and see if we all agree on this. Perfect unity. Now it's so we know, hey, we're going to make man. Let us make man. It's time to make man. And how? In our image. Now, one, one more note on this before we move on. Um, Jesus, in the New Testament, uh, challenged by the Pharisees with the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You remember the story. Mark chapter 12, I believe, is where it, where it uh, one place where you find it. The other gospels include it as well. It's very important because I, I believe Jesus is making reference in this as he answers the question back to Genesis chapter 1. Because they ask him, who do we pay taxes? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And they were trying to stump him, trying to catch him. Because if he says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then he makes the Jews mad. 
And if he says, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then he's an infidel and, and an insurrectionist, and he makes the Romans mad. So he's stuck, right? And he comes up with this extremely clever and so right on, I wish I could think of these things myself kind of solution. He says, somebody go get me a coin, a denarius. And so they bring him a, a denarius, and he says, whose image, listen, he says, whose image or likeness is on that coin? And the answer was Caesar Tiberius with an inscription that basically said he was God. So I said, well, Caesar's inscription is on the coin. And then Jesus says, then give to Caesar or render or pay back to Caesar what belongs to him and give to God what belongs to him. You see, on that coin, when, when Caesar minted it, when he had it uh, made, it included his image. It shows that it belongs to him ultimately, that he is, he is God, uh, that makes himself to be God, and that those coins that are printed, they belong to him. An artist signs his or her painting, showing ownership, showing uh, creative ownership. And so if that coin belongs to Caesar, then give it back to him. You know, give, if he wants it, give it to him. But the more important, the, le- the lesson here is the more important thing is, who do you belong to? Whose image is on you? In whose image were you created and minted and made? And the answer to that is God. So the question isn't, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And some people, we're getting close to tax season again. The, the question isn't, who should I give my money to? The question is, who should I give my life to? And if you give your life to God, then the money part, the possessions part, all that stuff falls into place. Very, very important lesson because there are people still trying to figure that out because we teach kids that they descended from animals and then we're surprised they act like them. There's an old saying, God created man in his image and then man returned the favor. Man created God in his image. And there's a whole generation that has no idea. They think they are just here by chance. Just a, just a chance of happening, the, the chemical, equa- chemical reactions and responses and time and luck. I have no idea. And I want to tell the kids here today especially, I don't know what you learned in biology class. If you went here to Fluvanna, I know you've got some Christian biology teachers in this school system. Amen. <laughs> but I also know you watch a lot of TV and you read a lot of books and there's a lot of competing voices out there. And I want to tell you this. The Bible clearly says about you that you were not just by accident, that you were created intentionally and purposely in the image of God. And the, the only way to find your, uh, your, your foundations, your mooring, your purpose, your your meaning without trying to be curt in these things is to um, is in giving your life back to God. People will struggle trying to find themselves, right? I've got to go find myself. You will find yourself when you lose yourself and you give yourself back to God to serve him. What animal worships? No animals worship God. We are not an animal. I don't know what you've been told. We are not a higher animal, a more evolved thing. We are uniquely created in the image of God. Have, have, we, have we made that clear? Has the Bible, I mean, here it is. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So now I grew up watching the Flintstones. 
Anybody else grow up watching the Flintstones? And I have a truck that has Flintstone brakes on it. It's about the only thing. I need one of those bumper stickers that says honk if parts fall off. Uh, some of you know my old Nissan truck, but um, you know, a hole in the floorboard and you stick your foot through. And uh, So, you know, was, were, were the first man, the first woman, were Adam and Eve cavemen? This is a question. What were they like? Because you've seen the pictures of the bent over ape and then he's a little more upright, a little less hairy, a little more upright, a little less hairy, and pretty soon he's us. Is that true? Because so much of the recreation of, you know, remember, sometimes we have a tendency to, um, to come to things with a bias. We, we look for, listen, we find what we're looking for. Uh, some people come to church and they're convinced that all Christians are hypocrites and that everybody at, at the church is, you know, is, is mean. And, and if you come that way, there could be a thousand good things that happen when you come here, but one person says one thing that strikes you wrong, and you say, see, I told you, all Christians are hypocrites. Well, you found what you were looking for. And so we do that. We have biases. And so if you're trying to prove evolution, and maybe you want to write a scientific article, and you find a skull or a, a, a jawbone or a tooth, which is what so much of the stuff is recreated from, it's easy to then begin to develop your theory or your hypothesis and for that to be taken as fact, and, if you, and this is one of those things, I'm telling you, do the research. All of those intermediate, you know, from ape to man discoveries, everyone has been either discovered to be either human or ape. Jawbones that they thought were of one thing were not of that thing at all. Things, that were, things were found to be hoaxes and fakes, and, but I'll let you look through that. But here's, you know, so was, was the image of... of Adam as a Neanderthal man, well, I'm not sure our image of a Neanderthal man is right. So let me read this to you. Here's some of the myths about Neanderthals. Myth number one, Neanderthals couldn't speak. They just grunted. Because our picture of early mankind, and we've been handed this, and I'm trying to undo that for you. You've been handed this idea that early man was crude and dumb and brutal, brutish. With, and just grunted, uh, 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 you know, kind of like modern man. At, at feeding time and during football games. Phone call for you. <clears throat> Watching the Super Bowl. <clears throat> the myth, Neanderthals, Neanderthals couldn't speak. They just grunted. It's been long believed that they couldn't speak like humans. But recently, 83, scientists found a hyoid bone, which is a bone that's here in, in, below your jaw. It's the only bone in your body not connected to any other bone, and it's valuable to uh, your ability to speak. The Neanderthal bone... The, 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 yeah, I need one. I need a, Neander, a, a hyoid bone. The Neanderthal hyoid bone is exactly like the hyoid bone of a modern human being. So we don't know. We, we, it's impossible to know how they spoke. What language did they speak? How did they figure that out? I don't know. But they had at least the physical, the physiological capacity to speak just as good as we did. Were they hairy? Now here's what, hit, here's what struck me is that if they're discovering uh, jawbones and skulls, how do they look at a skull or a jawbone or a tooth and go, must have been hairy? I don't, I, I, just questions I ask myself. So I thought, well, I, how do they know that? How do they know that Neanderthals were so hairy unless they're interpreting that because they're expecting it to be, you know, because apes are hairy, therefore any intermediate species between ape and us must also be hairy. Well, Guess what they found? And this is from a lot of genetic information. Right now, before I tell you about the hairiness or lack of, of Neanderthals, do you know as of 2009, the complete Neanderthal genome has been mapped? 
they could conceivably clone uh, a, uh, or create a uh, Neanderthal man from the genetic material they have. Uh, so for $30 million, that's what they're, they're, it would cost to do it. If you got it in your pocket, you want a pet Neanderthal man, uh, you, can, you can have that commissioned. Um, but so the, a lot of this is from genetic information. There's absolutely no reason to believe that Neanderthals were any hairier than modern man. Computer models uh, that they've used have shown that excess hair w- would not be anything that would have been necessary for and maybe detrimental to Neanderthal man. How about bent knees and walking like chimps? And this is, goes to show you that, you know, when you, everything we do, we, nobody was there, nobody experienced it firsthand. So what we do is we, we do forensic investigations. We find a skull, and then we start to make theories, start to do, uh, you know, make measurements, and then we come up with a, a picture of what may have been true, a hypothesis. There's no way to test it to know if it was right. We can't go back in time. So the question is, do we do a good job analyzing what, the evidence we have? Well, Neanderthals had, uh, they say, had bent knees and walked like chimps, but this was an unfortunate uh, case from a discovery that led to confusion. The skeleton was of a Neanderthal man, and it was discovered at the beginning of the 20th, first, uh, excuse me, the 20th century, and it had bent knees that gave rise to the popular belief that all Neanderthals did. And it certainly fit into to evolutionary theory, so you run with it. But it turns out that the skeleton was of a, of a Neanderthal that suffered from arthritis. And the fact is that they walked upright in the same manner as modern humans do. Were they savages? Again, the answer to that is no. They lived in communities. They cared for their sick. There's evidence that they nursed uh, people that were injured back to health. There's also evidence of fossilized musical instruments. They appreciated music and art. So were they savages? No. Were the, did Neanderthals have faces like apes? This misconception came about through a poor reconstruction from a largely arthritic skeleton. 1983, a forensic artist um, had done some work to reconstruct a, um, a skull that had been found, and uh, the results uh, this, of this new reconstruction show that uh, th- this reconstruction was done by a guy who does um, work with the police departments for homicide investigations. He reproduced the skull, and guess what they looked like? Just like us. So I say that to say uh, not everything that uh, is presented to you as truth. Uh, I tell my son, question everything. And he said, why? <laughs> I said, go to your room. He said, Dad, I'm 18. <laughs> Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Um, Just one other little tidbit of information about God creating mankind. Scientific evidence also leads to, and I'll spare you from the details, to the fact that uh, all genetic information goes back to one common male ancestor who they call Y-chromosomal Adam and one common female ancestor, the mother uh, one common female ancestor, the mother, mother of all living beings today. Uh, and that her name is mitochondrial Eve. They even chose to name them Adam and Eve, and they've discovered now that they probably lived at the same time, which I'm thinking, oh, that's probably helpful. Uh, (laughs) Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And, And some of you ladies would love to keep very far from anything that's creepy on the earth, But God then, in one more way that that we are created in his image, he has given mankind sovereignty 
over his creation. And he's given it to us. We, we learn how to, to utilize and manipulate our environment uh, for food, for shelter, for clothing, all of these things God has given us dominion over. We use animals for, for beasts of burden to carry our burdens. We use them for work and uh, all these ways we have. And we have the keys to the zoo, right? It's us that is, is uh, over the whole animal kingdom. And that's exactly what God said uh, the way it would be. James, in the book of James, says we have uh, been able to uh, tame every kind of, all sorts of animals we've been able to tame, haven't we? I watched a story uh, in a documentary about a guy that fishes with the cormorant bird. He takes, he's got this whole raft with all these birds on, on it, these cormorant birds that fish, and he t- puts a little ring around their neck. Uh, doesn't cut off their ability to breathe, but what's it cut off their ability to do? Swallow fish. So he sets it, they jump in, they catch a fish, and they come up and it's sticking right here, you know, and then they spit it out on the boat, and he takes off the ring, gives them a reward. He's used these fish, he just sits there with his feet up, right? And then lets them do the work. And, we, and there's people uh, that, that have learned how to hunt using birds of prey, the eagle or a falcon. And that, that they use the skills. So God has given all these things to us. And he's given us dominion over these things. And God said, verse 29, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also, to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So back to verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He says this a lot of times. He wants you to leave here. Uh, someone's going to ask you at lunch, so what was the preacher preaching about? And you go, ah, uh, I know that look. And you're going to say, he was telling us that we were created in the image of God. I don't care if we were anything else from what I've said. We were created in the image of God. And that image includes both male and female. And I consistently apologize on behalf of the male half of the population to the female half for the way we have treated you historically in this world. Using the strength, using uh, manipulation to uh, be abusive toward um, and unfair toward in God's mind and, and based on creation. We are all created from one blood, Paul says, Acts chapter 17. I don't care what race, I don't care where you live on the earth, doesn't even matter what sex you are. You are created in the image of God. And, and I, it's, it's stunning to see how that image has been marred and how people, all created in the image of God, um, somehow place themselves above others. Racism dissolves here. Gender inequality dissolves here in terms of God's uh, love and approval of and, and care for. Paul said in Christ there's neither male nor female. Both created in the image of God. And it's amazing how people hurt one another. What we see on TV, what we see in the news, ISIS and the Holocaust. We were just at the Holocaust Museum. And you go, how can people do this to one another? It's evil. It's sinful. So I don't know where you are with those things, but male and female. By the way, 
Here's a question for your biology teacher or for the na- your neighbor who's an atheist or, or uh, believes in uh, evolution. This is a stumper, and I'll, and I'll read you this quote. Um, one of the things that, that stumps evolutionists is the evolution of gender. You ever thought about that? You see the chart where there's an amoeba, and then there's a, a bigger thing, a bigger amoeba thing, and then it, it swims, and then it walks, and... But never is there, you see, never see the division between a male kind and a female kind. How did that happen? And so radically different how uh, the male anatomy, the female anatomy, perfectly, the female anatomy perfectly built for uh, childbirth, childrearing, child development, having internal parts that are completely different from the, the male human being. How did that happen? This, it turns out, I, I discovered in my research, uh, is one of the great mysteries that evolutionists still can't answer. And I would ask the same question, why two sexes? Why two genders? Why not one? Evolutionarily speaking, asexual reproduction, just split yourself in half, that's a lot easier. You know, evolutionists talk about things in terms of the amount of energy and expense it takes to do it. So things are not going to uh, typically evolve to be more complicated and, and, and require more energy. But... Sexual reproduction does. So to the evolutionist mind, it doesn't fit. It shouldn't be. Asexual, there's no reason to stop reproducing just by splitting in half. That's what the amoebas do. So why two genders? Why not four genders? Why not one gender? Good questions. One man said in his book, The Masterpiece of Nature, The Evolution of Genetics and Sexuality, a man named Graham Bell described the dilemma in the following manner. Sex is the queen of problems in evolutionary biology. Perhaps no other phenomenon has aroused so much interest. Certainly none has sowed as much confusion. The insights of Darwin and Mendel, which have illuminated so many mysteries, have so far failed to shed more than a dim and wavering light on the central mystery of sexuality. The same year that he released his book, another evolutionist, Philip Kitchener, noted, despite some ingenious suggestions by both Orthodox Darwinians, uh, uh, excuse me, by Orthodox Darwinians, there is no convincing Darwinian history for the emergence of sexual reproduction. Evolutionists since have freely admitted that the origin of gender and sexual reproduction still remains one of the most difficult problems in biology. So I don't know if you've ever thought much about that. I really had not until I got here. And God said he created them male and female, according to his perfect plan. He tells them then to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, uh, See, I've given you every green herb, every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Now, I, I make that. He doesn't say, I've given you every herb. This, I get this a lot. I've given you every, the fir, every herb of the field, uh, not to smoke it, but it's for food. I'm just, just saying Think about how the world, I mean, think about the fact that you know, they had this, this perfect environment in terms of this canopy that was over the face of the earth and fruits and vegetables growing huge on the earth. I mean, I can imagine what Adam and Eve saw walking around in, in their paradise. Uh, the size, of the, he says, Adam and Eve, all this is for you. And eventually, Satan uses that, turns Eve to the one thing she was told not to have. Isn't that, isn't that so like us? There's a thousand things I can enjoy. God's given me so much, but I want the thing I can't have. 
We'll get there. Chapter 3, we'll get there. And food becomes a huge... This is the first place that, that God mentions food. Why did he design us to eat? I don't know. But I do know that Jesus said man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Um, but nonetheless, he's designed us biologically to, um, to eat food, and he's provided the food. It's a, you eat a salad, that stuff grows out of the ground, man. It, it's a miracle. It grows right out of the ground. And we talked about seeds, and we talked about according to its own kind in previous studies. Um, now, there are some that like to, you know, during times of sickness, go back to, hey, this is the original diet, vegetarian. He's given us these herbs, the, the fruits and the, and the grains for our food. At this point, there was no meat eating, not even among the animals. Look what he says next. To every beast of the earth, every bird of the air, everything that creeps on the earth, I've given every green herb for food. That means lions were vegetarian. That means bears were vegetarian. Now you say, well, how can that be? Well, there was a story about a lion named Little Tyke that was raised. She was uh, a lioness. She was rescued from her mother who had been systematically killing her cubs. And they rescued her, and, and she never ate meat. They tried. They had veterinarians. They had experts come in to try to get her to eat meat. And she refused to eat meat and, and lived perfectly happy on grains and, and herbs and, and natural grasses. That's what was her diet. And she grew to be a full-size lioness and no problems. And that's documented. You can read about that. Here's what else I know in the book of Isaiah. We read about a time when the wolf will lay down with the lamb. And where a lion will eat straw or grass like an ox. And we see this idea that things have been corrupted, but eventually in the, in the new age, the kingdom age, things will be restored back to life as they were in the garden. We look at the world we live in, and we know it's not right. And we look back, this is what it was supposed to be. Animals weren't chasing each other around. People weren't chasing each other around. Now, I don't know where you are with food these days for yourself. I'm not saying you should be a vegetarian because there's whole books that are written on, you know, raw foods, diets, and all that stuff. Here's what I know. All the food is a mess these days. Well, I was reading an article on genetically modified. 70% of our food is now contains genetically modified stuff. They figured out the scientific community. You see, science can only figure stuff out. It's ethics that decides if it's good or bad. We can create, we can splice genes from a salmon into a tomato. Why would we want to? Well, to keep tomatoes from freezing because salmon can exist in very cold water. And we want tomatoes that can exist in cold temperatures. So we take this little gene out of the salmon and we take it and put it in a tomato. So the next time you see it, you're eating a tomato, just look and see if you can see any gills or fins in that thing. <laughs> but they now, they've included, they've modified uh, certain grains, corn and whatnot, with a gene from a bacteria that is a pesticide. So they put this gene into corn, and so when, like, insects eat it, they die. And then they say, here, eat up to me and you. So you can, you know, here's the way I look at this kind of stuff. Because there's, you know, there's a, this whole, a whole group, you can get really, really way off base getting um, uh, preoccupied with a raw food diet. Now, I'm not saying you should eat bad on purpose. Um, I think, you know, I, I like a smoothie now and then, but here's what I realize. I ain't going to live forever no matter how many smoothies I eat. So I feel like my whole theory on this is I've been given one body by the Lord. 
and I, I feel like it's my responsibility to take as good care of it as I can. I know that I am what I eat, but I also know that God is in charge. I can eat smoothies and kale and all that stuff, and I can still get cancer, or I can still get, as, uh, still get in a car accident next week. Any way you slice it, everything's a mess because of sin, whether it's you know, you, eat, you try to eat healthy, so you're eating these uh, the green vegetables and all that stuff and beets, and you find out they're covered with pesticides. And then so you eat meat because you're on the Atkins diet, and that stuff's all treated with carbon monoxide so it doesn't lose its color because it's going bad because it flesh rots. So what do we do? God's given us all things freely to enjoy. Eat up. Enjoy. Your pesticides and your carbon monoxide and, and pray. <laughs> And make sure that you're saved. Because I don't care how healthy you eat, you can't eat healthy enough to live forever. It won't happen. So you deal with that, and then you say, Lord, I want to do the best I can with what I've got, but ultimately my life is in your hands. Does that make sense? That's kind of my theory. If you've got a different theory, go for it. If one person wants to eat vegetables and they're convicted about that, then eat vegetables and eat them under the Lord. If another person says, man, I love my barbecue, I love my hamburger, then eat your hamburger and give praise to the Lord that chapter 9 says you can eat meat, right? That we get there. Chapter 9 of Genesis is when meat comes into the equation. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for eating meat. Praise the Lord you don't. But uh, the most important thing is make sure that you're, that you're saved. Um, Verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. First time he says it is very good. Uh, again, in case those of us today would question, if this is all reflecting God and his glory, then why do we have such trouble on the earth? It didn't start out that way. God looks at everything he made, including, including uh, man and woman, and he says it's very good. And this was the evening and the morning, the sixth day, and we'll conclude with the seventh day of the week. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and set it apart or sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created, uh, and, created and made. So the next part of chapter 2 gets into specifics about sixth day and the creation of man. But uh, this is where we have the establishment of a seven-day week, which we still hold to uh, even today. Six days God created, the seventh he rested. So part of keeping the Sabbath is working for six days. Now we're blessed. We got a two-day weekend, right? We only work five days, and we get two days of rest. The problem is some of you work seven days, and you go around the clock. Now when God created, he, he looked at it. He didn't, uh, he didn't go, man, six, as I was going to create some more stuff, but man, I'm whooped. I need a break from this creation stuff. Is that why he rested? Does God get tired? What does the Bible say about that? Does God ever sleep or slumber? No, because he's never had subject himself to my preaching. Otherwise, he would sleep and slumber. He doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests, why? Because he is finished. I like that about God. See, I'm, if, if you're an artist or sometimes like me, I get into a project at home, I can never decide when it's done. I can always add something to it. It's not done. I got all kinds of unfinished stuff at home. But God had a plan. He created everything according to his plan. And when it's finished, it was finished. And, he said, and then he got to sit back and rest, enjoy it. Enjoy what he'd made. And, and then that becomes the keeping of the Sabbath day, which is not 
a burden, which is not meant to be uh, something you're supposed to nitpick. And it's, it's meant for you. God gave the Sabbath to man as a gift. And we need it, folks. I remember reading a poster one time that said, there is so, I have so much work to do that the light at the end of the tunnel has temporarily been turned off. Anybody feel like that? And, and if we wait until we're finished with our work, we'll never rest. Have you noticed that? There's always more to do. So I know for my life, this is one of the hugest battles. Uh, and I've really been trying, you know, uh, the Sabbath is Saturday by definition. But some, you know, I think the point is a day of rest, a day where your car rests, you don't go driving everywhere. I think a day where your internet rests. I think a day where your phone rests. Uh, you know, we, sometimes we think ourselves to be much more important than we are. And God has given us all this stuff, a whole world, a whole, the woods and the sky and to ponder, and we're busy like this. You know, boom, I watched the video, see the video of the woman that falls into the fountain at the mall because she's doing like this and walking, boom, right into the fountain. People running into stuff left and right. You know, we, we're, look, God wants us to do this. And oh, we're so busy doing this. And again, I'm not trying to, I'm not nitpicking or trying to be, uh, to condemn. I'm just saying that God gave it to us as a gift. God's still working. He's working in the work of redemption. His work of creation was finished. Um, he worked the work of redemption on the cross. Jesus said that was finished. And now the Spirit of God is working to bring everybody into that finished work of Christ. As many as will come. And if you're here this morning, I want to invite you to enter into the finished work, not of God's creation, but as of, of his redemption and of his salvation. But I still think the Sabbath is a good thing. And it's one of my greatest battles to try to hold on to that for myself, to try to carve out that piece of time where I don't do the things I do all week, where I get to do something I can enjoy, restful enjoyment, a time to ponder and think about the God who created us and whose image, in whose image I am created. Satan's plan is distraction. God's plan is worship. So I don't know where you fall in that, in that measure, in that line. It, when they were in Egypt, they had to work seven days round the clock. And it was coming out of Egypt that God said, I'm going to give you a day of rest. I'm not like that. I'm not a taskmaster. I don't expect more and more and more. And we have that idea as a church sometimes, don't we? That all God wants is more and more and more. Got to read more. Got to pray more. Got to do more. And sometimes God says, Steve, the most worshipful thing you could do right now is rest and go for a walk. Just sit and think about me. Think about the world you live in. Is that true or not true? So that's the seventh day God rested, gives us rest. We'll talk about that uh, later on. I'm going to call the praise team up to, to close us out and... Um, I'm going to offer a word of prayer as we close and invite you, uh, uh, I don't know what the Lord is, how the Lord is using this. I know uh, some scientific stuff and some practical things, uh, some really important things, and, and I don't know where you are in all this. You know, we've got such a mixed crew here. Some of you, you got dragged here by your relatives today. Others, you couldn't wait to get here to hear what God had to say next. I don't know where you are. But uh, the truth is the truth, is it not? So if there's anything we can pray for you about, then I'll invite you to come down here. We have a prayer room over here. Don't be shy. Uh, we'll pray with you. And um, truly what we want to see is, is, 
is people that are set free by the truth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and life, Jesus said. And through him you know the truth. And the truth does what? Set you free. Set you free. And it's so hard to watch people so bound up and so constricted and so constrained and so confused. I think that's the hardest thing as a pastor and as a, as a Christian. When you know the truth and you see so many people that are so confused when it's so easy. It's right here under your nose. It's in front of your face. I can read it to you. I can present it to you. I can put it in your mouth, but I can't make you swallow it. Only the Lord can do that. So let's stand. I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, sing a final song. We'll be down here in the prayer room. Father, don't know what you're doing in the lives of people here, but I pray you just take, your spirit would take that word and, uh, and help it to penetrate deep in hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.